Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. In, uh, in 2009, my father passed away unexpectedly. I was up in uh, college at Tiffin University, and I got a phone call from, um, from the athletic director of the, the high school he coached at, saying that he had a stroke. And um, so I came, I came running home, and uh, by the time I got home, he had already passed, and so I didn't really uh, get a chance to, to really see him after that. But um, fast forward till, uh, till the, earlier this year, and um, me, and uh, me and Kara, we were looking for a church to go to, and we had always, uh, we'd always gone to a, a church in Worthington, and we liked it, but it wasn't really what we were looking for. Um, looking back now, it was, it's a little too big for us. Uh, we were looking for something a little bit small, a little more personal. And so um, we were looking and looking and looking and couldn't find anything, and then eventually Kara had to start working Sundays, and we couldn't go to church at all. Um, and it was really affecting us. She, she was getting really down about it. She was really looking for a church home. And so she changed her schedule, and, and one day we were about to go back to the church in Worthington, and she just found Simple Church Online. And so we decided to check it out, and uh, we're pulling into the parking lot, and I really wasn't sure about the place because it's, it's back off the road a little bit and not really, it's not the church building, it's a warehouse, as everyone already knows. But um, we go there, and the first few Sundays we went, and we really liked it. Um, everyone was, was really kind and really nice to us and really made us feel at home there. And then we get an opportunity to go to the first um, worship and prayer night. And uh, Kara, it was her last Sunday working evening, so she couldn't go. And I wasn't going to go because we were still pretty new, and I didn't feel like I knew anybody enough to go yet. But she, uh, she egged me on. She said, you need to go and, and just check it out, see what it's like. And I went, and then, so Aaron starts talking to us about um, how we need to speak to God and, and really have him look into our heart and see if there's anything that, you know, we need to work on or that might be weighing us down. And, you know, I didn't really think anything of it. I didn't think there was anything like that going on with me, but I decided, you know, if I'm here, I'm gonna give it, you know, my best shot. And so I started talking to God and just asking him if there was anything that he needed to bring up with me. And um, all these waves of, of emotions started coming up, um, sadness and anger, and I really didn't know what it was. And uh, so, I, so I kept digging a little deeper and, and I found out this was all tied to, you know, the passing of my father because I was angry and sad um, because like I said, he, he died before I really got a chance to say goodbye. And uh, it was really weighing me down. Like I said, I didn't really even know about it. And so then there comes a point in time in the prayer night where Aaron says, you know, if you need anyone to pray for you, go ahead and stand up. And I wasn't going to stand because, again, I, I was too new, didn't know anybody, but something, you know, compelled me. And I stood up. And then three strangers, complete strangers to me at the time, um, they've since become some good friends of mine. They started uh, praying with me. And... One of the people said, uh, you know, I was trying to explain exactly why I was feeling what I was feeling and what was going on. And he said, so you're, you're feeling angry and sad because you need a father. You know, and I was like, yes, that's, that's it. And he's like, well, you have one. And he's, he's, uh, his exact words, I think, were he's more powerful than any earthly father could ever be. And that really hit home with me. And um, 
over the next few days, I was able to really work through what was going on and eventually that all just washed away. And uh, the freedom that I felt since then has been incredible. Um, you know, me and Kara were pretty new to the church. We didn't think we were gonna get too involved too early because we had our wedding coming up, things like that. And uh, we hadn't really planned to serve or anything. And now we both serve. Um, I've, I've recently been uh, on the church leadership team. And so um, the things that God's been able to do in my life since then and, and the things that uh, I've gotten to experience at church since then have been, uh, like I said, nothing short of incredible. So, the question becomes, what story do you want to tell about your life? You know, Eric came to prayer one night, and I just, I just challenged him. Hey, start talking to God about, about stuff that might be, like, deep-rooted. And he took that challenge, and he started talking to God, and God began to speak and reveal things. And then next thing he knows, he's getting prayer, and, and he's found freedom. And so uh, it's been incredible to watch him grow. Well, what story do you want to tell? Do you want, do you want to continue the same way you're going, because here's what happens during our time of prayer. We touch heaven and confront hell, amen? And uh, even if you don't know what that looks like, we'll guide you through it. It's just an hour. If you got kids, we'll take care of them. We'll watch them uh, in the kids' ministry so that you can participate. So please join us tonight. That's at 6 o'clock. And then, uh, so be here for that, all right? I think his story tells it all. What story do you want to tell? I'm all kinds of, is it me? Is it you? Are we breaking up? Oh, we're good. All right, so let's jump into what we're talking about today. We are continuing this series called Toxic, and today I get to talk about toxic relationships because people can be the greatest spiritual uh, asset in your life, or they can be the worst spiritual curse. You have people in your life that build you up, people that lift you up and encourage you, and they equip you, they help you move farther, faster in life, but there's also people in your life that are distracting from your goals, that are distracting you from God's best in your life. They're people that are, are actually destructive and poisonous to have in your life. And you have to be careful about who you're in a relationship. All of us know people that are bad influences, right? People that, are, are, that tempt you, people that bring harm to you uh, relationally, verbally, spiritually, all these different things. We know, we, we know people like that. In fact, how many of you guys would say, I know somebody like that in my life right now, right? You, you know somebody just like that. In fact, I, I'm going to tell you, a lot of you are probably, whether you lifted your hand or not, are probably thinking about family members. It's like the spiritual principle that every single family has to have one person that is just toxic in it. They're also known as well, maybe the black sheep, right? How many of you guys have a family member that you would say is the toxic person or the black sheep? All right, now keep your hands up and look around. See, every family has one. So if your hand's not up, it might be you. <laughs> it might be you. So today we're talking about toxic relationships. Let me give you a working definition of what I feel toxic is. Toxic is anything containing poisonous material capable of causing serious sickness or even death, okay? Uh, people contain toxin. The Bible calls this toxin that we have inside of us, this toxicity. They, the Bible defines it as sin. Sin is essentially just our waywardness. It's just walking away from God's best for us. And so... Uh, we have this within us, and sin, when left unchecked, when left undealt with, becomes toxic and begins destroying every area of our life. It ruins our relationships. It ruins our opportunities. It ruins our thought life. It ruins our attitude. It, it, it creeps into every part of our life, not just 
through our waywardness, but through others' waywardness that we allow in our life. And so that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he said, do not be misled. Now, you have to pay attention when you're reading your Bible, okay? Because when, when he starts off, do not be misled, there's a reason for that. It must be easy for us to be misled. Hey, warning, <laughs> warning, don't be misled here. Don't justify someone's toxicity in your life. Don't kind of push it to the side and ignore it because it's uncomfortable for you to deal with. Don't say that, well, they're not that bad. I can keep them in my life. Like, like don't, don't, don't be misled. He said, because bad company corrupts good character. Bad company. So the people that you're hanging around that are toxic, that are living a life of waywardness from God, are affecting you. They corrupt your good character. Now, I know that it's easy for us to say, well, the reason I hang around with people with toxic stuff in their life is because I'm going to be the one to lift them up. I'm going to be the one to encourage them. But that's not usually how it happens. As you spend time around people that have toxic stuff in their life, you generally get brought down to their level, not the other way around, not the way that you hope that it would be. It's toxic. A few years ago, uh, my boys were eight. They're 15 now. And um, we... we we were wrestling. Now, how many of you all know if you've got kids, your boys, they just want to wrestle? And a mountain like me, they just, there's two of them. So they just thought they wanted to take me on and just and take me down. And, and when they were younger, I, I, and even still to this day, I used to tickle them a lot. And, uh, and I'm not ticklish. You can't win a tickle fight with me because I'm not ticklish. You can try all day long. It just starts hurting, like, you know, it's chafing. Stop. But I would tickle them, and I always gave them a safe word when I tickled them, right? Stop tickle monster. But the deal is, how many of y'all know when you get to get real tickled and you start laughing real hard, you don't even have enough breath to say stop tickle monster. So it was kind of like a catch-22, and I knew it, because they're like, hey, stop tickle monster. Yeah, okay, so it took them forever to get it out, right? But, but we wrestled. And one day in particular, we were up in my bedroom, and I was slamming them on the bed. They just love that. I don't know what that deal is. So they still try to fight me today. They're grown, though, now. I got one of them that's about an inch away from my height. And they still like to wrestle today, but I'm no dummy. I ain't taking them on. I wait till they turn around, and then I just peg them. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, guys. Oh, my back. I can't. And then when they turn around. See, you don't have to be stronger than somebody. You just need to be smarter. All right, guys? Keep that in mind. Okay? But, but they were little kids, and I was slamming them on the bed, man. We were just having so much fun, and I grabbed one of my boys, and I had him pinned. Like, I was on top of him, right, tickling the snot out of him, and he's laughing. The other brothers are just waiting on his turn, and he's laughing, and then he says this, the following. You ready? He says, hey, Trent, and I'm using their names because during first service, I wasn't, but Tyler, the boy who said the following, he raised his hand and said, that was me, during first service. So he's okay with me saying this, all right? He, so Tyler says, Hey, Trent, dad's blanking you. And I, while I was tickling, I hear him say that. Not, dad stood straight up because dad was not blanking him. I was not. You said, what was he blanking? Don't worry about it. That's none of your business. You don't need to know what that blank was. But he said, dad's blanking you. And I stood up. I said, no, I am not. And I looked at Trent. I said, did you hear what he said? He said, no. I said, get out. So he left the room. And I had to have a conversation with my son about blanking that I was not ready to have a conversation about yet, right? I said, who did you hear that from? I was really, I had to talk to him about this thing. I was really just trying to find out which one of your kids told him that word. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> bad company corrupts good morals. 
We, we're scared to put our kids on the bus, and yet, you know, because we're, we're pretty sure that the little kids that our kids are riding to school with are not necessarily horrible individuals, but they themselves are around bad company, right? And so they just, they bring that kind of stuff into our kids' lives, and <laughs> you just got to deal with it. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? You had to deal with that with your own kids? Yeah, so that's the way it goes, man, but, but bad company corrupts, it pollutes, it poisons, and destroys. And so there's this verse in the Bible that's, that's a bit extreme, but it talks about how toxic wrong relationships can be. This is the Apostle Paul again. And, and by the way, the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, and he says this. He says, avoid godless chatter. Now, that word godless means that God ain't in it. You understand that? That, that it's godless. It's, my, it's, it's minus God. And so they're having conversation about, and about doing things, laughing at things, or talking about whatever it is. It's, in, it's not in a way that is honoring God. It is godless chatter, okay? It is waywardness. It's sinful. It says avoid this godless, this sinful, this wayward chatter because those who indulge in it, in other words, your buddies that you're hanging around who are talking a certain way or talking about a certain thing or doing a certain thing and you're indulging in it, you're allowing them to continue to do that around you he says, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. It's toxic. He says, in fact, he goes on to say, their teaching will spread like gangrene. You see, I'm Aaron. I'm, I'm hanging out with people. They're not teaching me anything. Yes, they are. They're teaching you attitudes. They're teaching you posturing. They're teaching you how to look at life and look at things. They're teaching you. And the Bible says that, that they're teaching, this godless chatter, this waywardness that they're teaching you is like gangrene. Now, if you don't know what gangrene is, let me help you. Gangrene starts off as an infection somewhere in your body. And then that, that gangrene sets in and it cuts off blood flow to that part of the body. And do you all know what happens when blood flow, the life of your body gets cut off? That part of the body, whatever it is that is being infected by gangrene, dies. In fact, I, I don't think this is a good enough definition to, to share with you. I need to show it to you. Now, I'm going to give you a warning here, okay? If you have a weak stomach or have a child in here that you do not want to see the effects of gangrene, cover their eyes or look away now. I don't want to get nasty emails. I don't want anybody telling me, you shouldn't have done that. I'm giving you a warning, all right? Here we go. So whatever you're going to do, do it now. Okay, and go ahead and show us the first picture of what gangrene does to you. Oh, we can go, ooh, let's just do ooh, right? That, so the gangrene is set in in the fingernails, and you can see the black is setting in. This, these, this, these fingers, they will lose these fingers. Next picture. This is someone's foot. Gangrene is setting in on their toes. They'll lose all of those toes. Show me the last one. And this is someone who's about ready to lose it. It's disgusting, right? This is what gangrene is. It says, hey, they're teaching... The thing that they're participating in is going to cut off the life in your life. It's going to cut off the blood flow. Okay, you can take the pictures away. All right, and if you've been hiding, if you've been hiding your eyes, you can look now. If you were sitting next to somebody who was But he says it's like gangrene. It's a picture of how the wrong relationships are what they can do to someone who is healthy. It's toxic relationships. There's three kinds of different kinds of toxic relationships. Uh, company that you can have, kinds of people that you can be around. I think there's a lot more, but there's three common ones that I'll share with you today. The first kind of person is the chronically negative person. 
This is someone who is judgmental. This is someone who's critical uh, of, of anything and everything. They're, they're constantly gossiping about other people, and, or, or, or nothing is ever good enough for them. They whine. They complain. They're, they're toxic. They're kind of like the people of Israel. The people of Israel in the Old Testament, uh, they, they came from the bloodline of Abraham, and they wound up in Egypt so that they could survive and have food because there was a famine, all right? And the people of Israel multiplied so much that Pharaoh... The king of Egypt became uncomfortable with how many of them were there, and so he made them slaves. They were slaves, and they were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And so God sends Moses, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and, and Pharaoh does. He does, and, and then God miraculously delivers them from slavery. He miraculously parts the Red Sea, and the Israelites walk across on dry land, and then when the Egyptians change their mind and they chase them across the Red Sea, it collapses on them, destroying the whole army miraculously. And then God says, hey, I'm taking you to a place in a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Now, that doesn't sound appealing to me, but apparently it did to them. And they were like, yeah, miraculously he's taking them. And then he's like, on this journey, your shoes aren't going to wear out and your clothes aren't going to wear out. And by the way, every day when you wake up, I'm going to have food on the ground called manna. It's heavenly bread. You're not going to have to do anything or work for food right now on this journey. I got it. Lock, stock, and barrel. Everything is taken care of. And the Israelites, do you know what they did? They complained. Well, at least we had fish back in Egypt where we were slaves. If I had known that my clothes weren't going to wear out and my shoes weren't going to wear out, I'd have chosen a different wardrobe. <laughs> right? They're just, they're just, they just find things to complain about. How many of you guys know somebody like that that is just chronically negative? Now, don't point if they're here, all right? But I'm just saying, you know somebody that is chronically negative. All right. The next kind of person is the controller. The controller. This is somebody who's overbearing, somebody who's demanding, somebody that is... Uh, possibly manipulative in your life. Somebody's tried to con control everything about you by manipulating your circumstances or even getting friends to rally around you to control how you do what you do, the decisions that you make. The controller could possibly be abusive physically or verbally or in other ways. Somebody that uses fear to intimidate you or maybe they just use guilt to try to control you, to make you feel bad for them so that you do whatever it is that they're asking for. Asking, asking you for it. Does anybody know anybody like that? Some of you are like, I can't raise my hand. They won't let me, you know. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> you know somebody that's a controller. The, the third kind is the tempter. This is somebody that's constantly tempting you. Right now, my wife and I have been on this ketogenic diet for uh, a few months now. And in this ketogenic diet, there's a cycle of either three weeks on and then a cheat day or two weeks on and a cheat day or one week on. It just depends on how you're doing it. And so we, we have a bunch of friends in our lives that are also doing this, but our cycles don't line up with each other. And I love when that happens because I'm the tempter. The other day, we had a massive cheat day. It was incredible. I went and had bacon cheddar pancakes at first watch. They were amazing. Right, some of you are getting hungry. Like, Pastor Aaron, go ahead and dismiss because I'm hungry. Uh, they had bacon cheddar, pan I had bacon cheddar pancakes for breakfast, a triple stack, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And then we went to uh, Vic's Pizza for lunch and ate there. And then we went to a friend's house and had barbecue that night for dinner. And I'm going to tell you, she made me something extra special. She takes an Oreo, and you put peanut butter on it. And then you put another Oreo on top, like the whole thing. Okay, not crumbles, the whole thing. 
So two Oreos, more peanut butter on top of that. And then you take that and you put it in brownie batter and you bake it. It is well with my soul. Come on, everybody. Right? It was, oh, it was good. And so I had some friends that were there that were not on their cheat day. So you know what? I'm just eating. I'm like, you guys want some of this? This is just amazing. Like I was being a tempter. And you guys know people like that in your life. It may, it may appear a little different for you, but maybe, maybe it's your, the boyfriend in your life who's, who's pushing you to, to have sex and you've said no. Or maybe it's your buddies who continue to invite you to go partying or to, a, to the bar scene and you, do, you don't want anything to do with that. Or maybe, maybe it's just somebody who's showing you pornographic images and, 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 and you're like, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to look at that kind of stuff. Or, or somebody that's trying to, to lead you to do that. Or maybe it's just a friend who's so materialistic that it's kind of rubbing off on you. You see all the stuff that they've got and it's You're just tempted to want all of it too. These aren't bad people, but the things that they are doing are toxic to you. So those things that are toxic to you can draw you away from God's best for you into a lifestyle that can cause sickness and death in different areas of your life, relationally, spiritually, emotionally, lots of different ways. Now, as Christians, I understand you're like, all right, Aaron, I hear what you're saying here, and I'm not liking where you're headed. So let me kind of alleviate that tension real quick, because as, as Christians, we understand that God is all about people. And since God is all about people, we need to be all about people. How do we do that and still maintain relationships with toxic people? Because that's, that's an important balance there. We're called to be ministers. We're called to love people and to serve them. And so... We can't run from people just because they've got toxic stuff that they're doing, right? Stuff that's toxic to us. So, so how do we manage that tension? If God's all about people, we need to be. How, how do we remain healthy? Because you know that you need to be healthy in order to help other people be healthy. That's why when you're on an airplane, if you've ever been on a plane, they give you these instructions before the plane takes off. They'll talk to you about the emergency exits. One of the things they'll share with you is that if the cabin loses pressure, that means oxygen is disappearing that the the ceiling will open up and these little yellow masks will fall out. And they're like, hey, these masks are here to help you, but you need to get your mask on before you help someone else. Why? Because if you help someone else before you get your mask on that's now flowing with oxygen, you may have lost your opportunity to get oxygen, which means you will pass out. And if there's nobody around to help you because you helped all the helpless ones first, you're done. They say, help yourself. Be healthy first before you go and help someone else. And so there's a way that we are able to remain healthy and yet help other people who are not. There's two simple principles that you can follow on how to manage that tension in toxic relationships. First, you have to learn to do this one thing. Set healthy boundaries. Set healthy boundaries. There's a great book by Dr. Henry Cloud called Boundaries. My team and I read it a few months ago. It rocked our worlds. It it was fantastic. It talks about how healthy boundaries in life keep the bad things out and the good things in. That's what a boundary does. And people aren't horrible altogether. You need to understand that. They're not. I'm not saying that every person, because they do a toxic thing, is bad themselves. I'm saying that, that what they're doing, part of what they're doing is toxic to your relationship. It's dangerous to you. And so you put up a boundary in your relationship in that area. Now, I know that some of you are pushing back a little bit. Maybe your thought is, well, Aaron, this doesn't sound very Christ-like because Jesus loved everyone. That's true. Jesus did. He loved everyone. But he didn't treat everyone the same. 
He loved everyone. Look at, look at his ministry, simply. Jesus had crowds of people that followed him. And yet, from those crowds of people, he talked to them one way, but he had 12 that were from that crowd that he brought in and said, listen, I'm talking to them in parables, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I meant. And he talked to them different than he did everybody else. Loved everyone equally, treated them differently. And then from that 12, there was three of them, Peter, James, and John, the JJP click, what up, that he took everywhere with him into very intimate settings to experience things that the other nine didn't. And from that three, there was one dude from the JJP click that was his BFF. And that was John. I'm saying best friend forever, by the way, for those of you who don't know tech speak. That's a BFF. And so Jesus didn't treat everybody the same. He loved them equally, but didn't treat them the same. In fact, Jesus would walk into some towns and he would heal some people, not all of them. He loved them just the same. He didn't treat them all the same. In fact, we see on a regular basis, Jesus actually withdrawing from the crowds. I mean, could you imagine being Jesus, having the power to heal people, to raise the dead, and then the demand that would have been around? Because they didn't have doctors like we have today. Some of you are like, it's cool, I got a cold, I'll go to a doctor. They didn't have that. You'd die from a cold. So Jesus is walking around, he's got the cure. And people are looking for him. And this dude had to put up boundaries in his life so that he could just steal off and have some time to talk to God alone. To have time to recuperate and recover and come back full of faith, full of strength to be able to serve again. He put healthy boundaries in place. He even did this with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the pastors or the religious leaders of the day. And they would come up to him and demand things from him. And Jesus would give them a whole bunch of nope. Like, nope. I'm not even talking to you guys. I'm here to help those people that are sick got no time for this. He even did it within his friends, that, that little circle of the JJP. He's talking to, to his disciples one day about how he's going to die and rise. And Peter's not having it. Peter stands up and he says, nope, that's not happening, Jesus. And Jesus responds strongly to one of his closest friends and says this, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get, be, get behind me, Satan. Now, can I pause for just a second and tell you, this is never a good phrase to use on your mother-in-law. <laughs> You're not Jesus and neither am I. So just, you know, just trying to help you. I need you to be free, okay? He says, get me behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Look, this is, this is why. He says, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. In other words, you're not even thinking about what God is doing in me or what I need to do. I'm telling you what God's doing in me, and you're just trying to take me the opposite way. Put up a boundary with one of his closest friends. And so you have to be willing to set up healthy boundaries in your life. In order to remain in toxic relationships with people, to maintain them, to keep yourself healthy so that you can continue to help them, you need to put up healthy boundaries. There's two easy boundaries that you can use. And I'm going to help you with this because once you've decided or drawn a line in the sand and said this is where your boundary is, can I, can I just help you by telling you that unspoken boundaries are painful to others? They're hurtful. If you decide a boundary and you don't share it with that person with whom you've decided that boundary needs to exist, they'll just run into it like an invisible electric fence. You know what I mean? It's just going to hurt them. But if you talk about it, then you have an opportunity to explain why you believe that, why you're living this way. It may be helpful for them. So make sure you share your boundaries. But here's, here's two simple boundaries you can put up. Tell them, I won't let you talk to me or treat me that way. 
I will not let you talk to me or treat me that way. There's no fighting here. You don't have to come out swinging, ding, ding. There's no bell ringing. You can calmly and politely tell them, hey, this is where my boundary lies. This is where it is. I'm not going to let you talk to me or treat me that way. It's a boundary. Giving them the Gandalf treatment. You shall not pass, right? I'm so glad some people laugh second service. Nobody laughed first service. (laughs) Got some nerds here. I'm thankful for that. I'm with you. (laughs) But but they're easy. You, you, You just need to share them with people. Tell them, this is where the line is. The, the, the boundaries could look as simple as this. Maybe you've got somebody in your life that gossips a lot. You know? And, and why is it that they always choose to do it at the prayer meeting? I have a special prayer request for Sister Susie. I think she's cheating on her husband and we need to pray for her. <laughs> All you did was take an opportunity to gossip. Right? Here's how you deal with that. You shut it down. Shut it down. Look, I, I don't want to be part of that. And, and you probably need to go talk to them. That's what, that's what Proverbs 26, verse 20 says. That Hey, where there's no wood, the fire dies out. In other words, where a gossip doesn't have anybody to gossip to, the gossip's done. If you shut it down, then nobody's, nobody's there to listen. It's like if a person gossips in the wood and no one's around, is it still considered gossip? Following me? Just shut it down. Or maybe, maybe my, my wife tells me often about the places that she's worked in the past about how the ladies gather around and they just talk trash about their husbands. They, they talk poorly and she's like, babe, I just want you to know I don't get involved in that. She said, I don't do that. She said, I've chosen to, to listen to Ephesians 5 and honor you. And so I, I lift you up in front of them. I honor you and I respect you when I'm talking to them. I don't talk down about you in front of other people. I don't join in that kind of mess. Or, or maybe for you, you know, guys, look, I understand that we are driven visually. And so girls sometimes dress and, 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 and very, they're scantily clad. Or maybe, maybe you feel like God's just done an extra good job on them. And when they come walking past, you don't just look. You like look. All right. All right. And then your mind goes to the next place. And you start imagining. And I'm not even going to go down that path. We can do what's called bouncing our eyes and look somewhere else because we've decided to honor God with our eyes. So look, I'm not, and, and the guys that are like, dude, check her out, and be like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. She's pretty, but I'm good. If you're married, that's definitely the place you need to hang out. I'm good. You want to love your wife? That's a great way to do it. Just saying. Just trying to help you. But I won't let you talk to me or treat me that way. I'm not going to be a part of what it is that you're doing. They don't have to become like you, you understand, for you to have a boundary. It does not mean that you're trying to preach to them and teach them how to be like you. They just need to know your boundary and honor it. Second boundary that you can put up verbally, let's tell them, is I'm not going there with you. Wherever that place may be, whatever that may look like, I'm not sure. I'm not going there with you. When I walked away from Christ years ago, I developed a habit of going to strip clubs. And when I came back and rededicated my life, one of the places I had to stop going was strip clubs. And I had a buddy who kept calling me, hey, man, let's go. Hey, man, let's go. I had to tell him, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I know that this part of me needs to honor God, and I can't do that if I'm going to the strip clubs. So I, I took a step. I'm not going there with you. 
Others of you, maybe, maybe you've got a, a, a history of alcohol and drug abuse, and, and so your buddies are calling you up and asking you to go to the, to the bars, and you're like, look, I can't go. That, that thing has wreaked havoc in my life. I'm all done with it. I want to honor my marriage. I want to honor my kids. I want to honor myself. I want to honor God, and I can't do it. If you have to, just blame it on the a- 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 alcohol. Just blame it on that. Whatever you have to do. I'm not going with you. Or married ladies. Look, this happens way more often than it should. You reconnect with somebody else on Facebook, somebody you used to know, and maybe you knew them in the biblical sense or not. I'm not sure. But they reach out to you. It's an old BF on FB. That's boyfriend on Facebook. And they say, hey, let's hang out. Let's go have lunch. Ladies, let me help you. Your response Ought to be, but the boundary, I'm not going to lunch with you. If you liked it, you should have put a ring on it. <laughs> or others of you, maybe, maybe you're going out on a date. And I talk to my kids about this. I talk to teens. I even talk to adults about it. Before you go out on a date with somebody, if you're in the dating scene, you need to decide where that line exists for you. You don't decide it in the heat of the moment. That's just not going to work. And if you decide it and you put that boundary in place, it will be helpful. Because what's going to happen is you're going to go out on a date, you're going to have a great time, you're going to laugh, tell a funny joke, she's going to touch your arm, passion ignites. <laughs> the end of the night, and then there's an invitation to come inside for a cup of coffee. And you know darn well, that ain't no cup of coffee. The cup of coffee comes in the morning. So you know what's going on there, and you've got a boundary, and you need to say, listen, no hugging, no kissing until I get a wedding ring, and then they're going to respond, my honey, my baby, don't put my love upon no shelf, and you say, don't give me no lines, and keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> Welcome to the musical portion of today's message. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? We've got boundaries. I'm not, going, I'm not going in the house with you. I'm not doing it. We're not going to the hotel. I'm not going. I'm not going there with you. Decide to put up healthy boundaries so that you can honor God with your life. Because why? God honors boundaries. I can tell you it worked out perfectly in my life this way. When I met my wife, I had just come back into a relationship with God. My sexuality was not something that I had surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. I just hadn't. And so she and I are dating. It's probably our third week of dating. And, and I was pressuring her to have sex. I'm being honest with you. I did. And she drew a line in the sand and said, nope. She said, I've lived a life of promiscuity. I know where it's gotten me. I'm a single mom with a little girl, and I'm not having sex with anybody again until I get married. For real, that happened. And do you know what I did as a result? Three months later, I asked her to marry me because priorities began to get in line. The Bible says it is better to marry than to burn. So I was burning with, uh, you know, that Elvis called it a hunk of hunk of burning love, right? I was old. Lord, I got to have her, and so I got my priorities in line. Three months later, I was able to afford a wedding ring, and I asked her. Six months later, we were married because, daggone it, it takes that long to plan a wedding. But I was patient and helped her reinforce those boundaries because there were times that we tried to cross and said, no, we gotta, we, I had to help her. Go, No, that's not what you want, and I know it's not, and if we do this, I'm not respecting you. And God honored that and blessed, ladies, what are you learning? If you, maybe it's time that you, you, you stop doing that thing, you know what I'm talking about, that Lauren Hill was talking about, and see if he's actually interested in you instead of just that thing, that thing, that thing. <laughs> like, cut it out. 
and see if he's actually interested in you. See if he'll get his priorities in line. See if he does love you. That was just for free. That part wasn't even in my notes. That was just, you know, for you. I'm just trying to help you. I'm serious. Boundaries. See if God won't bless them. Because if he leaves because you, because you stopped doing that with him, then he probably wasn't for you anyway. He's not somebody who's going to reverence you and respect you and love you through other things. That's a big one. Set healthy boundaries. There's going to be times, though, when people will not honor those boundaries. They'll persist and continue to pollute the relationship. They'll t- continue to tempt you. They'll continue to abuse you. They'll continue to poison the relationship. And if that happens, this is the second point in my whole message. Set up boundaries. But if they aren't listening to those, they aren't honoring those, you got to cut off the toxic relationship. Now, let me be very clear. I am not talking about a marriage. If you are in a marriage relationship, you are in a covenant relationship that you said for better or for worse. And just because you're in worse does not mean you get to bail. If there is a toxic marriage going on, it's because you're both toxic. You say, but Aaron, he's the, he or she is the aggressor. Maybe, but you're standing there as the enabler. See, help, or sick people go get help. So maybe you need to see a counselor. Maybe you need to talk to your pastor. Or maybe you need to talk to people in your grow group and get help. Have them pray with you and guide you on how to deal with the toxic stuff in your marriage. So I'm not talking about cutting off that toxicity. Second thing I'm not talking about is in your family. It is the saddest thing to me when family members say, I've cut so-and-so out of my life, my son out of my life, my dad or my mom out of my life. It is the saddest thing to me. Their family, their blood, you work through the pain in that relationship. You work through the pain in that marriage. You need to get help, then get help. That's okay. Now, I I will say the only caveat to those two things, the only time you cut off in the the situation of of a marriage or a family member is when there is extreme abuse for safety reasons that you need to do that. But nothing else, everything else can be worked through. Everything else can be worked out. There will be times in your life that it will be necessary to cut off the relationship. In the Bible, we see how this is handled a couple ways. Paul and Barnabas, they, they were missionaries traveling together. Barnabas wanted to bring this guy named Mark along with him. But Mark had bailed on him before. And Paul was like, nah, that guy's got an integrity issue, a character flaw. I don't really want him on the road with us. And Barnabas wanted him. And so they sharply, so sharp was their disagreement that they decided to go, up another, go a different way. Paul put in a boundary. And say, hey, listen, if you're not going to honor this, we need to go another way. So they did. They, they continued to love each other and preach the gospel, but they, parted, they cut the relationship. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 7, hey, look, if you're in a relationship with someone, don't, don't marry someone who's following after false gods because you're going to get all caught up inside of that. You need to cut off that relationship. That's not a marriage opportunity or a dating opportunity for you. Paul even addresses it in, in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6. He says, look, you you don't need to be unequally yoked. Don't don't get into a marriage covenant relationship with someone who's not headed in the same direction you're going. Just cut that off. You can have non-Christian friends, but don't date them. Don't marry them. That's not healthy for you. One of the perfect examples of someone who should have cut off a toxic relationship in the Bible is in the Old Testament. It's a story of a guy named Joseph. We'll call him Joey from here on out. And Joey was sold as a slave by his brothers. It's a great story. You really need to read it. It's full of drama and betrayal. It's amazing. It's, I mean, it's better than anything you're watching on Netflix today. I'll tell you that. And Joey gets sold into slavery, winds up in Egypt. 
And he is the servant at Potiphar's house. Potiphar is like one of Pharaoh's number one dudes. And Joey finds favor with Potiphar, and so Potiphar makes him the head of his household. While Potiphar is gone and Joey's watching over everything, Potiphar's wife comes on to Joey multiple times. The Bible says over and over again, and he kept pushing her off and saying, listen, how could I dishonor my master? How could I dishonor God? How could I? I couldn't do this. No. The answer is no. Over and over again, and yet he remained in that toxic relationship. He put up a boundary that she did not honor, and here's what happened. It cost him something because he did not cut off the relationship. Because he didn't go to Potiphar and say, listen, dude, your wife's coming on to me. And I realize that means I probably can't work here anymore. He didn't want to surrender the position or the honor or the pay. He didn't want to wind up back out there doing hard labor. I get it. But that toxic relationship, because he left it in place, cost him something. Because here's what happened. One day, Joey walks into the house, and none of the fellow servants are around There is nobody there, the Bible says, in fact. And Potiphar's wife approaches him, and this is what happens. In Genesis 39, it says, Potiphar's wife caught Joseph by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. Now she's got her hands on him. It's escalated. It's escalated from just talking to him and inviting him to lay with her to now she's got her hands on him. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, which, by the way, is the right move. But it never should have gotten to that place. And it cost him something because now Joseph is naked and embarrassed because she starts yelling out, he tried to rape me. And now he's running out of the house because he didn't cut off the toxic relationship where it needed to be. He was too afraid to sacrifice all that he had in order to do that. He's afraid of what it was going to cost him. But now, now he, as a result of her accusation and him running naked through the house, it lands him in jail. Now, as the story goes, God honors him some years later and bring, uses that to his glory and to his purpose, which that's how, what God does in his unfailing love when we don't do what we ought to do. He, he does those things. But Joseph didn't have to wind up in the prison. I'm convinced of it. He was probably afraid. He would have been more honorable to choose to enforce that boundary than it would have been to remain there. So what about you? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of, of, of cutting out that toxic relationship because what it's going to cost you? Well, my boyfriend and I have been together for a long time. If I stop having sex with him, I'm afraid he won't love me. Or if I, if, if I tell him, hey, you know, I, I can't do this. Or if I tell my boss, hey, listen, I don't want to be involved in that unethical transaction anymore. Well, well I might lose my job. And? And what are you, what are you afraid of? Count the cost. Because allowing toxicity to remain in Joseph's life cost him everything. Whereas he could have just cut it out, maybe lost a little. Count the cost in your life. What is that toxic relationship costing you? And in the long run, is it worth leaving it in place? So here's my encouragement to you today. Don't compromise your values, and your boundaries. Young people, if, if you're somebody that's in here and somebody's been sexting you or maybe you're an adult and you've asked for that to stop, there's several things you can do. You can block their number on your phone, get somebody else involved to help you, or if you have to, change your number. Ah, oh, but that's so inconvenient. And do you want the toxicity to stop or not? 
Some of you say, well, well, I got that business opportunity and they're, they're doing something unethical. I'm an owner in the business. And they won't recant. They won't relent from doing it this way. And I'm not on board for it. Buy out. Have them buy you out. Get out of the business. Do what that which is God honoring first and see if he doesn't honor that. Others of you, maybe you're married and you're flirting. Or maybe someone's just flirting with you. It's time to have a conversation with them. I've had to do this twice in my life on the job. One of them was a public conversation with my manager. I said, listen, I'm married and I'd like to stay that way. This has gone a different direction here. What did it cost me? Well, that relationship was awkward. I lost friends on that job. But I kept, I kept my marriage safe. I protected it. What story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell? Ladies, if you're dating a guy who's a total jerk right now, listen, you don't need to stick with a fixer-upper. Cut it off. So that's harsh, isn't it? Maybe. Cutting people out of your life should be a very rare thing, but I understand that it's more common in your teen years, and it's definitely more common in your as you have just come to Christ, and a lot of your friends probably aren't. Maybe some of those are just relationships you push pause on until you get healthy. But you're going to need these boundaries in your life. And if they don't honor those boundaries, you're going to need to make the difficult decision of cutting them out of your life. When you do it, do it with love. Explain that I need you to stop because. And maybe the reasons why you're trying to do it, maybe the reasons that you are saying, hey, this boundary exists, will minister to them and help them in the long run. You don't know how God will use that if you're willing to put up a boundary. And then what are you going to do? Then what happens? Tell them you're doing it to be like Jesus ultimately. Look, I, I need to protect myself. I need to be healthy so that I can go into a toxic world and love those who are hurting. Because you know you have to be full of God's presence in your life in order to make a difference in someone else's, right? And if you don't have these boundaries in place to keep the bad stuff out and the good stuff in, then you're sick yourself and you can't help other people. So understand, what I'm, get, what I'm talking to you about is a, is a different kind of life that Jesus wants for you, that God desires for you. So we can set healthy boundaries. We can cut out people if we need to. But we do it with grace and we do it with love. Loving them in an effort and a hope to make a difference in their lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I, I just pray in this moment because I know that this is not uh, the most fun message to hear. Especially when we're dealing with relationships. People, people mean so much to us. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom as we navigate proper boundaries in our lives so that we can not only honor you but remain healthy so that we can love those who are unhealthy so that we can see them nursed to health as well lord i pray that you would give us the courage to have difficult conversations and the strength that we need to reinforce those boundaries lord help us to do all this with a right heart that is full of grace full of love and full of mercy for people so that we can make a difference in their lives by the difference you're making in ours. Lord, we need you for that. As we continue to pray today, I'm going to say that, there's, that all of us in here can be toxic. 
There's some of us, you're here today, and you have a toxic view of who God is. Maybe you, you've experienced some, some difficulty in your relationship with your father or your parents or with someone you trusted, and you're like, I'm supposed to trust God, and God's supposed to be like a father to me, and so you carry this baggage that is toxic to your relationship with God and how you look at him. I'm here to tell you that, that my prayer for you is that God just wipes all those things away and that you hear one thing about what God desires from you. He wants you to know him. He doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about where you've been. He doesn't care about who you've hurt or who he cares that you're hurt. But he, he's not concerned with how long you've been living in sin or how far away you feel you've walked from him. He loves you right here and right now unconditionally. So there's nothing else you need to do except receive his love. So as I say this, I'm standing here today telling you God's greatest desire is for you to know him. We get to know who God is through his son, Jesus. He sent Jesus to die on a cross to live a perfect and sinless life first, but to surrender his life and die and to be resurrected three days later. He did all this because Jesus was the only one who could pay the price for your sins. He's the only one who could do that. He did that as a free gift for you, a demonstration of his love for you. And he did all that so you could be forgiven, all that so that you could know God. Today, if you'd like to get to know God, you need to receive Jesus as Lord of your life. And I'm going to pray a prayer, and, and I'd love for you to join me on that prayer. And if you're here today and you want to do that, I'll, I'll walk you through it. I'll even give you the words to say to the prayer. And know that I'm not going to have you stand up or come up front. There'll be no, no, nobody here to embarrass you. I just want to know that you're here. So if you're here and you want to pray that prayer today, would you just kind of slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me. Aaron, that's me. Put your hand up. That's awesome. All right. Church, let's pray together so that nobody's praying by themselves. There's no reason for that. Let's pray, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Take the toxicity from my life and give me your life. Jesus, be Lord of my life. That means you're in charge. Show me how to live for you and I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.